And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Well, hey there, everybody. Glad you are here, whether it be online or in person today. We start a new series called How to Bless Your Neighbor Today. Now, it is our rhythm at New City to walk through books of the Bible and to spend time in a book of the Bible and kind of walk through that book for a season. And every once in a while, we take a break from that and go, hey, we need to spend some time just working on uh, a practice, working on uh, a real sort of life-changing practice. Because the Christian faith isn't just something that we sort of learn about, but it's a way of life. And God's called us to a certain kind of way of living, and we want to be able to embrace that way of living with some practices. Uh, one of the things that we've often said at New City is it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than it is to think your way into a new way of acting. Uh, maybe you've seen this be true in your own life. I know it is true for me. I just started a new diet for like about three years. I was on the keto diet for a period of time. And then recently, a bunch of my friends have been going plant-based with their diets. And I'm like, well, you know, I probably could use a mix-up and I'll go plant-based with my diet. So I haven't, I haven't eaten meat in like five or six weeks. I'm probably going to keep it on for a little while. And I've been sort of thinking about it. I only visit Pinterest really for recipes. That's the only time I ever go to Pinterest. And I usually send them to Vanessa to remember and catalog them uh, so we know kind of what to eat at night. But it's, uh, I've, I've learned that it's, dieting isn't really about, or any kind of life change, isn't about learning about the diet. It's about actually changing the practice, uh, changing what you do, uh, changing how you sort of plan and how you engage it. Uh, we become what we imitate. That's kind of a truism of life. We become what we imitate more easily than we become what we think. Uh, it's, it's about behavior change that we're talking about in this series, not just sort of growing in our theological understanding, but really growing in the life of faith. And so I want you to know that in this next five weeks after this message, six weeks total in the series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about uh, a practice, talking about like how does your faith really impact your everyday life? Like what's different in your life because of your faith? Is there anything that you can point to in terms of your behavior in life that is directly the result of what you believe to be true about the scriptures? And so it's this, this series is not really about uh, growing some deep theological understanding. It's not about uh, thinking deeply. It's about living deeply. And that's what we really want you to do in this series, to learn some practices that'll help you to live deeply. Now, I don't know who it is that you could think of when you think about people that you've imitated in life or uh, maybe people that you would like to imitate in life. Uh, I know you probably have some people coming to mind. You go, if I go, who in your life right now is somebody you want to imitate? Or maybe as a child, was there somebody in your life that, whose, whose behavior, whose lifestyle was one that was attractive to you and you thought, yeah, I'd, like to, I'd like to imitate that person? For me, as a child, uh, it was Michael Jordan. In fact, I think everybody knew that about Michael Jordan. That's why Gatorade just hit the home run advertisement. Uh, I don't know if you remember the, the jingle, uh, Sometimes I Dream That He Is Me. I dream, I move, I, <laughs> I dream, I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike, I mean, that, that whole advertising scheme had me hook, line, and sinker because I went to the driveway every afternoon and I wanted to be like Mike. Man, I wanted to be like Mike. I desired to be like Mike. I shot free throws, 100 free throws a night before I went to bed. I mean, I was dedicated, played a little basketball in high school, got to play a little bit, not a whole lot in college, but man, basketball was my game and uh, Michael Jordan was my idol. He was my hero. 
And I can remember one year when those, when the, man, when those, those new Nike Air Jordans came out, I wanted those things so bad. And I'm not a sneakerhead. I've never wanted a pair of sneakers like I wanted these sneakers. I mean, I just wanted them so bad. A buddy of mine got them for Christmas. And you know what I got for Christmas? Patrick Ewing's. That's what I got for Christmas. And so it wasn't quite the same when you show up to the court with your buddies uh, all showing up. You know, everybody wanted the Jordans and I had the Ewing's. But you know what? I still broke some ankles. All right. It's all good. But Nike, Nike really, um, you know, they really brought that whole advertising scheme home of kind of imitation with that Just Do It logo. And that Just Do It logo was just super, you know. Like, you know, just do it. You know, you watch that Nike commercial, and there's an old man running, and he's doing a marathon. You're like, I'm going to go run a marathon, man. I'm going to do it, man. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to get out there. Uh, but something's happened over time. Like, the Nike's athletic wear, Nike's athletic, sort of, you know, uh, ath- you know all th- it's, an, it's an athletic company selling, uh, you know, athletic wear to athletes. Uh, but a new industry has emerged, and, and you probably have seen this. It's, it's, it, was, it was there in the background, okay, but then COVID kind of lit it on fire. It's the athleisure, um, you know, uh, whole sort of thing. It's athleisure, I don't, know if you don't know if you're familiar with athleisure. I don't know if there's any athleisure fans here, but athleisure is for people who want to dress as if they're going to work out, but they have zero intentions of doing so, right? That's athleisure. They're like, I, I'm, uh, I'm, athle- I'm athleisure, you know? Um, if you were writing a logo, by the way, writing a branding for athleisure, you might say, athleisure, just do it, or don't, whatevs. You know, that would be like the phrase. It wouldn't be whatever, because that would be too much activity. You'd have to be, you know, to embrace the leisure part of athleisure. It's got to be whatevs, you know, whatevs. They just do it, maybe, I don't know. We'll get around to it. Now, here's the point of all this, is that we shouldn't have an athleisure approach to our faith. Like, it shouldn't be like one of those things where we're just kind of whatever. Uh, our faith is meant to be active. It's meant to be involved. It's meant to be something that moves us, uh, moves our behavior, changes the way that we live our lives. Our faith doesn't just form what we think or how we think. It shapes how we live. And that's the whole point of this series is, is to just do some real self-evaluation. Like, how are you living? Now, one of the things that Jesus wants us to know right off the bat when he's teaching just sort of basic Christian theology, he says a litmus test for a Christian faith is how a Christian loves. That's the, that's the litmus test. And so if you want to know if someone's really living the Christian life, just look to see how they're loving. Uh, because that's the litmus that's how you know in the words of jesus by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another and so if there is a is there if there is a community of people who have a unique love and affection for one another and are living that out in a self-sacrificial way the way christ loved us you'll know that's an authentic christian community like you would you'll be able to identify that that new city church is living an authentic christian life if this is a group of people who are saying you know what jesus died on the cross for my sins gave up everything for me because he loved me i'm going to die to myself and the love of other people now if you see people doing that in the context of community you go oh that's authentic christian faith Uh, i want you to know this though and this is something that's important to me to make sure i communicate to you because i've seen this to be true in my own life that you can accept Christianity as true and still deny it with how you live. Like you, can, you can say, you know, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but then in your own life, never show any self-denial. Like you can say, like I believe Jesus raised from the dead and conquered sin and death and, and that he's given me the Holy Spirit, but never embrace a lifestyle of holiness. Like, it's, it's possible for you to be one, one that believes the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, but there to be very little evidence of any sanctifying work of God in your life. 
And so you can't, you can like accept things intellectually be true, but, th- but those things cannot, you, know, you, you can still put up barriers for those things working themselves into your everyday life. And so here's Jesus again applying the litmus test. Uh, our text today was Matthew 22. Uh, one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus, uh, in a, in, you know, just a, a question to test him, to say, hey, come on, Jesus, we're, we're going we're, we're to see how well you think. Uh, what, what do you think about this important theological sort of thing? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This was a hotly debated theological topic of the time. What's the greatest commandment? Uh, what's, the one, what's the one thing we should be focused on? What's the thing that's of most importance? And I want you to see how Jesus sort of brings about something that's both not controversial for the time, but also something that is extraordinarily insightful to the Bible student. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all, with all your mind. This is the greatest in the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 40, I think to me, is like the, the money verse. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So maybe you've seen this, okay, to be true. It, it is possible for a Christian community to have really sound theological teaching, but at the same time not be a community that, that's understood as being a loving one. It's possible for there to be a Christian community, a faith community that is dedicated to the Bible, dedicated to understanding it rightly, but then not to show evidence of love of God and love of the neighbor as part of their theological application. And what Jesus is saying here in verse 40 is he's saying any application of Christian teaching that does not elevate your love of God and your love of others fails its purpose. It's a litmus test of understanding. And so just getting it right intellectually isn't enough if it's not if it's not if, if, if like under if your understanding hasn't worked its way out into the way of life into the living particularly the loving, then it's not, it's, it's, it's not achieving its end. N.T. Wright says, once more, what Jesus says here about loving God and loving one another only makes sense when we see it, when, 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 when we set it within Matthew's larger gospel picture of Jesus dying for sins of the world and rising again with the message of new life. That's when these commandments begin to come into their own when they, they're seen not as orders to be obeyed in our own strength, but as invitations and promises to a new way of life in which, bit by bit, hatred and pride can be left behind and love can become a reality. It's an invitation to that new way of life. You've been raised with Christ to a new way of life, a new way of living. And so a, a way we've said this often at New City is this that at New City we embrace a faith that works. And what we mean by that is a faith that is active. A faith that calls about a response, a life response, a working faith. And so we don't want to just be wearing gym clothes. We want to go to the gym, right? Like we don't want an athleisure, you know, sort of lifestyle where we're just dressing up like we do church and not actually being in the church. And so this is not, this is a, we, we want to be a, a place that is acting on our intentions. We, we, we want to believe 
this in such a way that we act upon it. That's why we say we are imperfect people being courageous, believing in the power of Jesus to make all things new. Because we do want to be courageous in our faith. We want to be active in our faith. We want to be loving God and loving others in an active way, not just in a passive way. That's the whole initiative. The whole Be Good News initiative is about that. Now, we're in this two-year thing. We're talk, calling the whole church to be good news for people in the city with our lives. That's the call, with our lives. To say Christ gave his life for us. We're giving our lives for others, so we're going to be committed to being good news. And I have, I have been convinced of this truth for, I mean, my, my entire adult ministry, I've been convinced of this truth, that people are open to good news conversations with the good news people. And when you become a good news people, people will say, hey, I, I, I'd like to have a conversation with you about the, about the good news. Whenever we raise this point, I always point people to 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And always note that this is a call by Peter to say, I want you to live a questionable life, a life that calls into question your hope. So people ask you about your hope, and they ask you about what you believe. In other words, live such a lifestyle among the pagans, he says. Like, let your life be so actively involved and engaged in the faith that you have hold, held on to that people are going, your love is calling into question your hope, and I want to know more about that hope. That's what we want people to be doing at New City Church. And so, to put it just a slightly different way, and to press in, here, a good news people believe that they have been blessed to be a blessing. And this series is about your blessing. How are you called to bless your neighbor? That God has blessed you to be a blessing. He's loved you into a, a, li- a loving relationship with Him, and he's, he's created within you a capacity to love your neighbor. In, in Genesis 12:3, Abraham receives the promise of blessing. Uh, the Bible says, I will bless those who bless you, and in, him who dis- <laughs> and in him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, how are all the families, every tribe, tongue, and nation of the earth to be blessed through Abraham? How is that to be, how is that to be so? Well, the blessing of God is the good news about Jesus and the empowerment of His Spirit. That's the blessing. We find out about it in Galatians 3.14, when the Apostle Paul says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, that blessing that was to be a blessing for every tongue, tribe, and nation, for every, for every ethnic group in the world, this blessing, this, this Abrahamic blessing, came to you in Christ Jesus. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so it's the Spirit. What's the Spirit do? The Spirit says, hey, you're, you're a child of God, testifies that way, and the Spirit enables you for mission. The Spirit says you are part of God's covenant family, and the Spirit says you have been empowered with the capacity to live out the mission of God. So in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when, he come up, when, he, when He's come upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Like You'll receive the Spirit, and the Spirit will give you power to be a witness. Spirit will give you power to be a blessing. Spirit will give you power to love others the way Christ has loved you. So we believe, listen, at New City, we believe that Jesus is at work right now, making everything new. We believe that. 
Revelation 21.5, behold, I'm making all things new. We believe that. Here's what we also believe. We believe that the Spirit of God works inside of people to make them new. And so what's this blessing of Abraham? The blessing, the blessing that we've been given to be a blessing. How have we been called to love others, to love God, love others the way Christ has loved us? How's, it, how's all this st- stuff work out into our everyday life? So we don't lose heart, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, though our outer self is wasting away. What's going on with our inner self? Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Being renewed day by day with the working of the Holy Spirit for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all, compar- beyond all comparison, day by day being made new. Now, I don't know if I've, I've done this well enough, but I, here's, here's, here's where I've been trying to take you in this sort of overview of scriptural teaching. You have everything you need inside of you to be a blessing to others if you're a Christian. You have everything you need. Like, you're not lacking in anything. I'm just going to be just really clear. Like, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, He lived the life that you could not live, He died the death that you should have died, He was buried in the grave, He rose again, He overcame your sin and death, and that He gave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's is the one who allows you to say yes to God. He's the one that testifies to you that you are, in fact, a child, a daughter, or a son of God. If you have the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you, you have everything you need to be a blessing. Everything you need. You're not lacking in anything. And what's sometimes shocking to me it's like God's strategy for changing the world is blessing you to bless your neighbor. I mean, this is God's strategy. The local church is God's strategy for bringing change to the world. It, it, we have lots of reasons to be discontent about the world, right? I mean, we have lots of reasons. I mean, I'm filled with them. Uh, I, don't, I mean, maybe you guys have been blessed to not have anxiety in your life. I mean, I live like with a constant state of low-grade anxiety about everything. And I, I'm looking around the world and going, man, this, somebody needs to do something about this. Man, this needs to change, man. There, there's some stuff that's going on that's not so right in the world. And I'm going like, what's the strategy? God, what's your strategy for changing the world? He's like, you are. The church. I gave you my Holy Spirit. Like, you're the body of Christ living in the world right now. Like, you're the strategy. Uh, my buddy Dave Runyon is, is, they wrote a book called Art of Neighboring, and Dave and I have shared lots of conversations about this strategy of God to change the world through just simply loving the neighbor, being a blessing, taking the blessing of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit to the neighborhood. And, and in the Art of Neighboring, Dave's book, he tells about a, a time he was sitting with the mayor of Arvada. And the mayor of Arvada just kind of brought to mind a very simple truth that is life-changing. The mayor of Avada, Colorado, Bob Frey, said in a meeting with Dave and a bunch of other pastors, the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. And Dave heard that in the meeting. He was like, who knows better about being a neighbor than the church? Because God said the most important thing is loving, loving God and loving the neighbor. Like if we're, that's like primary for the Christian. 
then who, who better to bring about community change than Christian people who've been commanded by God to love their neighbors? Rick Russo in his book, The Neighboring Church, says, we, have, we ta- have we taught our church to serve the community but failed to disciple them to love their neighbors? And that really like, just you know, moved me because you know, one of the things that we are, I think, sometimes even pride ourselves in at New City is being an active church and loving our city and seeking city transformation. But then sometimes I wonder, have we done a good enough job with everybody in our church really feeling like the call to love my neighbor actually applies to my neighbor? I mean, the person I call neighbor, because I can't remember their name. You know, does it it apply there? Robert Putman says this, and better together. He says, the more neighbors who know know one another by name, the fewer crimes a neighborhood as a whole will suffer. A child born in a state whose residents volunteer, vote, and spend time with friends is less likely to be born underweight less likely to drop out of school, and less likely to kill or be killed than the same child, no richer or poorer, born in another state whose residents do not. It seems as though the data proves that in a community where people understand neighborly love, that community thrives. God's strategy to change the world through a group of people who are radically committed to loving Him and loving their neighbor is a tremendous strategy for bringing about change. And no one has greater incentive to love their neighbors than Christians do. Now here's what I want to do in this series, and one of the things that um, I'm hoping this series will end on is when we start talking about the, the five practices of blessing, that one of those practices is going to be the one that's the most challenging, that's sharing your faith. It's actually talking about your faith. In general, I believe that Christians find it easier to love their neighbors by serving in faith rather than sharing their faith. And I'm just going to start in this introduction of the series from the beginning and say, I know where we're headed in this, in the Blessed series. And we're headed to this is like, if you want to really love your neighbor, <laughs> one of the best things you can do for your neighbor is to share with them the thing that's changed your life so completely. It's loving them with the message of Jesus that transforms a life from the inside. I mean, we're being renewed day by day. And if you've experienced that in your life, the renewal of the Holy Spirit day by day, why would you not want that for your neighbor? But I think, I think you know, here's the reality. I think most of us do. Most of us do, but it, man, it strikes fear in us to even think about sharing our faith. And so I, I wrote this question down, and, man, it's been... It's been game-changing for me. It's the opening question of my buddy's book on, on this particular topic. And, he, and, and he, the question is, why does it seem easier to share your, your life than it does to share your faith? Why does it seem easier just to go, you know, I, I want to bless you by being, you know, active in your life, and I want to call into question the good news, I want to do all those things, but man, some, sometimes, like, I don't know if you've experienced this, like, there, there's, there's, like, there's a step there that re- is required in loving, and loving people, you know, to, to the point that you're, you know, you're, you, you share, like, I'm loving you because Christ has loved me, like, he, I'm loving you because the Spirit inside of me is moving me to love you. And I know some of us, like, we really want that question to be raised. We really want, like, our friends and our neighbors to know Jesus. We really want our family members to, to, to experience the life change that we've experienced. And so the question we're exploring in this series is how do we move from hoping someone will experience the renewal of Jesus to helping them experience the renewal of Jesus? That's what I want us to move from. 
just merely hoping that someone will ask me the question or just hoping that, my, that, that somehow through osmosis my, my friends, my neighbors will hear the life-changing message of Jesus to helping them. So coming back to that kind of pain point, why does it feel, why, why does it not feel so good to share the good news? Like why does that, like even like talking about this sometimes strike within people anxiety and fear? Uh, let's just be, let's, let's be frank for a sec, okay? Uh, the words evangelical and evangelism sound like bad news to many people. They just do, particularly younger people. Uh, there's an interesting study, it was published in 2019 by Barna, and, and Barna, the title of the study was Almost Half of Practicing Christian Millennials Say Evangelism is Wrong. So most practicing Christians between 20 and, or in their 20s and 30s feel like sharing their faith is wrong. In fact, 46% of practicing Christians in their 20s and 30s believe evangelism is wrong, according to Barna. That's a lot. What's going on with that? Like, why is that happening? Like, why, why does it feel like for so, for so many so wrong to share the most important thing that's ever happened to you? Because 96% of the same people surveyed, 96% of practicing Christians agreed with the statement the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. So that raises like a really important question for me. Like how do you reconcile believing that Jesus is the best thing that has ever happened to me with the feeling that it's wrong to talk about that? Because that's really the tension that people feel. And so they, they just feel it inside. They're like, man, I, 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 this is the best thing that has ever happened to me, but man, it feels, I feel like a used car salesman every time I talk about it. That's what we want to talk about in this series. When we talk about five practices, right, for the Christian life, we're going to be talking about ways in which you can practically share your faith in a way that doesn't make you feel like a used car salesman every time you talk about it. Here's my belief. Our enemy is scheming to make the good news feel like bad news. That's what I feel is happening right now, culturally in the world, right now, the, war, the one we're living in. Because, you, you know, when you go out into the cancel culture universe out there, <laughs> right, man, it feels, it feels bad to believe the good news sometimes. People feel that. Particularly, the data is showing 20s and 30s, people in their 20s and 30s are feeling it. They like feel anxious about identifying as Christians, sharing the good news of Jesus, at the same time, believing deeply that this is the most important thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, in Ephesians 6.11, the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Schemes of the devil. I do believe this is a scheme. A scheme of the enemy. And I just want to reveal it as that. Like this num the number one hurdle to blessing my neighbors, in fact, you know, as we talk about blessing in a second, you're going to see the final... Um, practice and bless is sharing your faith that this is going to be the biggest hurdle so i just want to attack it right up from the very beginning but here's the truth okay here's the truth this is what the data shows that most people are interested in hearing about the things that are really important to their friends most people are let's just put it in a data framework according to gallup 87 percent of americans say they believe in god but you didn't know that like, we live in an extraordinarily spiritual place. And people are spiritually curious. That 79% of unchurched people agree with the statement, I don't mind talking to a friend about their faith if they really value it. 
So eight out of ten of your friends, if you, if you had a conversation about your faith, would appreciate that conversation if it's something that you really valued. They'd say, man, I want to learn more about that. I want to I find out more about what's going on with you. But what the research shows is this. What your neighbors want most in spiritual conversations is listening without judgment. They don't want to be preached at, but they want to have a conversation. They want to understand. They want you to want to understand where they're coming from. They want to have an actual conversation about things that matter most. Dave Ferguson, in his book called Bless, he said the sad news is that two-thirds of people surveyed said they had no one in their life who would listen to them without judgment. None. This reflects the sad truth that Christians are known more for talking and than listening. And I think there's a, a real practice here that we can, in, we can begin to develop as we begin to develop these five practices that is a way of sharing our faith that isn't about being a used car salesman and trying to convince somebody they're broken and busted and, and come on over to the, the better side. It's about having a real honest conversation about things that matter most to you. And your friends and neighbors want to be treated like people, not projects. And that's the, that's the big thing. They just want to be recognized as people, not projects. So Jesus' blessing strategy, how did he do it? Through friendship. I mean, that's how he did it. Friendship was his blessing strategy. You, you see it in Matthew eleven nineteen. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus says, you want to, you want to see what wisdom looks like? It's my friendships. And you look around the table of Jesus, and he had tax collectors and sinners around the table of Jesus. He was making friends. And it was through the medium of friendship that Jesus shared the life-changing news that he had come to bring the kingdom. And so coming back full circle then, friends, our faith doesn't just shape how we think, it shapes how we live. That's what we want to do in this series. We want to not just talk about our faith and, and identify with truths that we hold intellectually, but we want to say, what's changing in our life because of what we believe? In other words, how do we move from hoping our friends will experience renewal of Jesus to helping them experience renewal of Jesus? That's what I want to move to. How do we help our friends to experience the renewal of Jesus? Uh, often in leadership conversations, I'll say out loud, a plan without action is a daydream, and an action without plan is a nightmare. <laughs> Right? And you've seen maybe those play out in everyday life. Like sometimes we'll say, hey man, we, we got this great plan to change the world, but then nobody ever does anything about it. Well, that's just a daydream. Sometimes people go, I'm going to go you know, evangelize the world. And they take action and then they don't have a plan and that sometimes can turn off to a nightmare. So I want to talk to you about five everyday ways to love your neighbors and change the world. This is the outline for the next five weeks of our series. Uh, these are the blessed practices all right these are the blessed practices we'll be talking about and again i told you hey we normally walk through books of the bible and every once in a while we hit pause and we say you know what we need to get we need to get down to where the rubber meets the road we need to get down to everyday practices so what are the practices well the first practice is be begin with prayer that's the first practice and we really want you to begin praying like praying for your actual neighbors Praying for people who are close to you. Praying for people in proximity to you. That they would come to know Jesus. That you would be able to be a blessing to them because God has blessed you. That you would love them the way God has loved you. And then we want you to embrace the discipline of listening. Not speaking first, but listening first and hearing. And we've often said at New City that we believe that, that, that there is a good news solution to the bad news problems of our, of our city. We really believe that. Like a good news, capital G, capital N, news solution to the bad news problems of our city. The only way you can offer the good news solution is if you first listen to the bad news narrative. 
And sometimes we just have to have a listening ear and listen to the bad news narrative. My favorite of the disciplines is eating. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the next one in bless. That's eat. Man, I, 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 I mean, this has been, I'll, I'll, okay, just let me plan to say this. Full disclosure, the hardest part of COVID for me has been not sharing my dinner table with as many people as I'd like to share it with. That's one of the things that now that I'm vaccinated and the more people around me are and, you know, things are starting to open up a little bit, I'm, I'm excited. I really am. Have people around the table. Uh, we used to say at New City, uh, you know, who sat at your table last month? It used to be the, uh, a staff meeting question we'd ask every once in a while uh, to our staff meet. Actually, we asked it once a month, like in the last month, who ate at your table? And the idea was if your table didn't look like the table of Jesus, we were doing mission wrong. So who, who's eating at the table? By the way, you have 21 mission opportunities every single week. Three days a meal, seven days a week. 21 mission opportunities to invite somebody to sit around the table. Serve. Serve is, a, is the one that comes, comes easiest to most of us. It's like, yeah, I can serve. I can, you know, go out and serve somebody. As long as I don't talk to anybody about my faith, I'll go serve them all day long. You know, and, and so, so, so serve is one of those strategies of the, of the blessed deal. We'll talk about that. But then the la- you know, final week of our series is, is, is just share your story. And it, it, this is not going to be high, high stress, high pressure. Just come in to know your own story. If it's the best news that's ever happened to you, what's the news? If Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to you, then what, what, what happened to you? How did he change your life? And how can you share that? And it's just coming familiar with your own story and your story of grace. So how has God blessed you to be a blessing? How has he blessed you to be a blessing? You have everything you need inside of you everything, to bless your friends and neighbors. If you're a Christian, you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, He was buried, He rose again, conquered sin and death, you're a recipient of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and He empowers you to witness. He gives the power to witness to Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth. He has given you everything you need to be a blessing. Everything. I'll tell you what happened to me. So I, I, was, I was a high school student, um, struggling, just struggling to, with my identity. I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but I remember being a junior in high school and just, just struggling, struggling with my identity. Was a, you know, was a brown guy in a white family, living in a, in a world that weren't a whole lot of people like me, and I just I needed something. And for a long time, it was basketball and sports and football. Uh, but then I, I came to meet a teacher in high school. Her name was Susan Weinstock. Uh, Susan was my art, art teacher in high school. And Susan changed my life. Absolutely changed my life. I can remember, uh, clear as day, I was in art class, just a regular you know, junior art class, like an elective that you just had to have. And she came along, looked at my picture, and she said, that's really good. You're really good at this, Nate. You could you could go far if you wanted to go far in this. And no one had ever said anything like that to me in my life. Uh, over the next two years, Susan really invested in me. I mean, I would go to her house and watch her dogs, and when she went on vacation, like we became close. Like, uh, uh, you know, she was a teacher who invested in me. Uh, I entered a lot of uh, competitions, won uh, many uh, statewide competitions, national competitions in art. Ended up going to School of Visual Arts to become a fine arts major. Uh, was a painting major at School of Visual Arts. Go back one slide there. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, man, it was, it was a big deal. I mean, uh, she took me to visit colleges. Uh, we had recruiters coming to my school to recruit me to art college. And, 
And Susan really invested in me. And I can remember how, how impactful that was. And uh, we stayed close. And I, I remember when I told Susan that I was leaving our college to go to Bible college because I had a spiritual crisis, she told me I was throwing my life away. <laughs> she goes, you're throwing your life away. What are you doing? And I was like, you know, I tried to explain it to her in words that she would understand. I was like, I, I just, I feel darkness inside of me and I don't know, you know, what the answer is, but I got to go find it. And I later got saved and um, at, at Bible college, came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and, and the, the rescue was dramatic and real. And I, and I couldn't wait to tell everybody I loved. Just couldn't wait to tell everybody I loved. I, including Susan. Man, I, <laughs> I just had a memory, and it was you know, spontaneous, but I, I, I remember sitting with her in her living room and she said, uh, I'm not going to get over you leaving, you know, school and the last thing I want to talk to you about is your faith and can we just agree not to talk about this ever again? And I was just, I mean, I, I, was, I was all action, no plan. I don't tell you that much. I was all action, no plan in that and I just was a very aggressive evangelist and um, and I said, okay, you know, um, and about three months before I was to be married to my wife, Vanessa, um, I got a call from a friend and she said, uh, hey, have you talked to Susan? She wants to reach out to you. And I said, no, I, I heard she was ill. And she said, yeah, um, you know, Susan's, uh, uh, you know, cancer's progressed and she's, She's probably going to die soon. And so she gave me her, her phone number to her hospital, and, and so I called Susan in the hospital, and, and she, uh, I said, hey, Susan, it's Nate. And she said, I was, I was praying you to call. And I said, praying to who? <laughs> like she, she was like so chauvinistic, you know. She, like she invited me up, to, and I went, but there was a whole bunch of uh, former students that went up. And we all put hands on her, and we were trying to pass our energy through one another into her to heal her body. I mean, she was like such a, you know, crystals, mystic, and all that. And she didn't want nothing to do with Jesus. And so I, I got to share with her. Um, she, said, uh, she said, you tell me who I was praying to. As a, as a Christian, this is the first person I'd ever gotten to share the gospel to. And so I said, well, you know, the best I could. I was a brand new Christian myself. And it was the best I could. I shared with her the good news of Jesus. And I said, I really hope that you'd make it out to the wedding. We got married at the Morikami Museum in Boca Raton, Florida. It's a, it's a photo. Of the, um, uh, we had to take that photo outside after the wedding because it rained, and Vanessa was a wreck. Oh, she was so upset. But it rained on our wedding day, and, uh, and so we, we got married inside the museum. There's a giant Buddha in the lobby of that museum, and so it was like not, it didn't come off as like a super, you know, sort of Christian uh, wedding ceremony. Uh, but we, we had this, you know, beautiful thing, and the Morikami Museum was awesome, and um, by God's good grace, um, Susan came. And, and, and she, you see this in this photo. She's, she, she, we got to dance together while she's in a wheelchair. And all I could remember during that season was this feeling that 
Jesus so changed me, like so changed me. Just fundamentally different because of Jesus in my life. And I want nothing more than for Susan to hear that message. Like nothing more. Because I wanted her to have that life change too. You know, I, she knew the gospel, shared the gospel, prayed with her. Um, you know, it's the Lord knows her heart and what she did with what she received, but um, I'm hopeful. You know, I'm hopeful. And so series about how to bless your neighbors, it's not like just, you know, another series for us at New City. Like we've done this series before. It's just not another, it's not another series. What I hope this series will become is a way of life. That we begin as a community of people going, yep, I'm going to begin in prayer, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to eat, and I'm going to serve, but when the time comes, I'm going to share my story. And by share my story, watch my neighbors experience the life change that I have to have the joy of experiencing. And every once in a while, we, we you know, have to go back to our origin stories, you know? We have to go back to those stories, the beginning. For me, that's the beginning of my story. That's where it all began. Where Jesus lit inside of me this fire to see more and more people come to know Him. And I, I, I'm so grateful uh, for Susan, and by the way, just for all of you who are teachers and educators, man, you make such a big difference in people's lives, and my life is different because of Susan in my life. 